Thank you, brother. Um, tonight, if we want, if you wanted a commercial for tonight's sermon, that would be it. Uh, we will be looking at the the introduction. Would be um, that Jacob sowed and reaped. He sowed deception, and he reaped deception. A whole lot of it. Um, if you would, let's turn to the first Psalm, Psalm one. I want to read to you the whole Psalm, Psalm 1, 1 through 6. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, And whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The word of the Lord. Um, When we come to church, this is the... the, uh, the doorkeeper psalm. That's the name of the title of the sermon. The doorkeeper psalm. This is the door to the book of Psalms. The book of worship, if you will, in the, in the whole Bible. We were discussing this with somebody at dinner or lunch yesterday. The longest book in the entire Bible is about worship. <laughs> Psalms is the longest book in the Bible. It's about worship. Dale Ralph Davis writes this. Nothing is so crucial as your belonging to the assembly of the righteous. Maybe we could put it in the form of a question. Am I a member of the body of Christ? Am I in Jesus Christ? Am I a member who's in the body of Jesus Christ? That's what the doorkeeper psalm asks us. As we enter into the book of worship, as we open up this first page of the book, if you will, Am I someone who belongs to the assembly of the righteous? In the world, there are assemblies. There are those who are in the assembly of the righteous, and there are those who are not in the assembly of the righteous. And those who are in the assembly of the righteous, they will not perish on the day of judgment. And those who are not in the assembly of the righteous, they will perish on the day of judgment. That is this psalm in a nutshell. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew chapter 7 on the Sermon on the Mount. He says there's two gates that enter into two ways, that end in two destinations. There's a narrow gate and there's a wide gate. If you go through the narrow gate, you enter into a narrow path that ends in life. If you go through the wide gate, you enter into a broad way and it ends in destruction or in death. You can't get any clearer than that. And Jesus, if you will, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he's doing exactly what the psalmist is doing at the beginning of the book of worship. He's saying, enter through the narrow gate, walk on this narrow way that leads to life. So this morning, let me give you three points, the righteous man's direction, the righteous man's description, 
and the righteous man's destination. First of all, let's look at the righteous man's direction. He avoids certain things and he adheres to certain things. The righteous man avoids certain things. Now, one of the things we have to remember, and this is one of Evan's things that uh, he did his senior thesis on, and, and you know, he, he, was, he loved to talk about the myth of neutrality. Y'all know there's no such thing as neutrality, right? <laughs> I mean, we're either going one way or the other. We're either moving towards righteousness or we're moving towards wickedness. It's just one or the other. It's not we're sitting in the middle. I mean, our cars idle, right? But we don't. We don't idle. And so the righteous man is walking, he says here, he avoids three things. He avoids walking in the counsel of the wicked. Well, we have to ask ourselves, what, who are the wicked? Now, sometimes when I think about, oh, these are wicked men, wicked people, that's, that's Joseph Stalin. Wicked people, that's Hitler, that's a pedophile, that's a serial killer. But the psalmist, when he says wicked, not walking in the counsel of the wicked, he means somebody who's simply out of harmony with God. He's talking about somebody who has not, who's not in right standing with God. He's talking about somebody who says, I will be first, I will make myself king. Go read that in 1 Kings where Amnon says, I will be king. <laughs> I will be king. I will determine my standards. I will have nothing to do with Jesus. And so we are told here not to walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now, there's, have you ever noticed if you're around somebody who's wicked, they have no lack of counsel? Have you ever noticed that? Proverbs 15, verse 2. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. <laughs> gushes folly. Y'all remember we talked about Old Faithful a few weeks ago. Old Faithful, every 45 minutes to every 125 minutes, it gushes hot boiling water. A wicked person doesn't lack lots of counsel, lots of words, lots of willing to tell you what to do with your life. Willing to tell you how to live your life. If, if, and if, if it makes you feel guilty, go do it till it doesn't feel guilty anymore. I've heard that one before. <laughs> Just go harden yourself against anything that might make you feel guilty. The kingdom of God, that's not important. Don't worry about entering into that. Don't worry about seeing that. Don't worry about that new birth stuff. Don't worry about walking with Jesus. This is exactly the opposite counsel given by our Lord Jesus Christ. And so you, O righteous man, O righteous woman, you are to avoid walking in the counsel of the wicked. Literally, you're not supposed to put their shoes on and walk around in them. <laughs> you're not supposed to put your, their shoes on. You're not supposed to think their thoughts as they think their thoughts. But you submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you feel guilty about something. Now, make sure it's, it's right guilt. I mean, sometimes we feel guilt, guilty for things we shouldn't feel guilty for. I've helped people out with that. But if you've done something wrong, and you should feel guilty. We have nerves for a reason, right? If we step on a, a pin, we have an ouch, and we get pull our foot off. If we sin, if it's wrong, we need to confess that it was wrong. You and I, as we walk not according to the counsel of the wicked, we may be called intolerant. We may be called bigots. We may be called haters. But we want to walk with Christ. Not only that, the righteous man avoids standing in the way of sinners. So we ask, what is a wicked person? A wicked person is a person out of harmony with God. A sinner is a person who sins. <laughs> a sinner is a person who practices sinning. And so they have a pattern of sinning. And 
Their, their key sin is they leave God out. They leave God out of everything. The third commandment says this, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. How, in the, what, how does that affect me? Well, let me tell you how it affects you. Um, everybody knows the common, most ordinary way we take God's name in vain. We, we hear people curse and use God's name in vain. We hear people say God this, and we hear people say Jesus that, and we see these, these letters, OMG, and there's a song that used to come on in the gym when I was working in the gym, like six minutes of OMG. And I'm just sitting there going, you know, that's the normal way people take God's name in vain. But let me tell you, I think that uh, Cal Cummings is right, the guy that writes our book on confessing Christ. You know what he says in the book? He says, I think the, nor- the most ordinary way people take God's name in vain is this way. They just don't use his name at all. They just don't say his name at all. They don't pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. They just don't use his name at all. And when we don't do that, that's hatred towards God. One man, I I read a story about a man who had, had somebody come to him and say, You know, every now and then I would like to get to know you. And then I think to myself, I don't want to get to know you. And he said this to this minister. And this is what the minister said. He said, to dismiss someone as not worthy of getting to know them shows immense contempt. It shows immense hatred for that person. He felt hatred from that man. How does God feel when people won't use his name? But you and I are to avoid standing in the way of sinners. You and I, the word stand there, it doesn't mean what we think, where we just stop and stand. We're standing in the way of sinners. No, that's not what this means. It means to stand in agreement with them. It means to stand in agreement with the way they think, with the way they talk, with what they're doing in their ways. I think one of the worst illustrations I can bring in front of you is, is Lot's wife. You remember the angels told Lot and Mrs. Lot? I don't know her name. I'm just going to call her Mrs. Lot. And the daughters flee to the mountains... Do not stop. Do not look back. She stopped. She looked back. Why did she do that? Because that's where her heart was. She stood with them and she was judged right along with them. And so you and I, we're not to stand in agreement with sinners. We're not to stand in agreement with their attitudes. But now let's, let's just make this point before we go on. We, we, we do every now and have to stand along with them, not in agreement with them, but we have to talk to them. We have to be neighbors with them. We can't. I, I was reading a book the other day, and it was talking about how um, one man was critiquing Thomas Akempis because he was a monk, and he wrote that book called *Imitation of Christ*. He said one of the defects of Thomas Akempis's life is that he stayed as a monk in behind closed doors, and he never could say anything good to anybody. He just talked to his brothers. He was no earthly good, and so you and I, if we're going to bring Christ to other people, we need to befriend them. That doesn't mean we're standing in agreement with what they say. But we don't hate them. Now, I want to I address something. I want you to think about something with me. As we think about sinners, they, their pattern, the pattern of their life is sin. They, they go out and they sin with reckless abandon. They don't ever stop it. So let me, let me give uh, you an illustration here. Let's think about something together. We're Christians. We readily admit that we're imperfect. So how do we as Christians, how do we sin? I'm going to pick on the men for a second. Okay. 
I'll pick on myself, really, if you want me to. Um, let's just say that uh, you're insensitive towards your wife. You came home and you got into it with your wife. You were harsh with your wife. I've never done this myself. I've never hurt my wife. I've never said unkind things to my wife. If you believe that, then I'll you know, maybe sell you some property somewhere. But, but you come home and you get into it with your wife. And you realize you've been unkind. You realize you said things you shouldn't say. So you go outside and you simmer down. You come back in. And you're grieved over it. And you're sorrowing over it. And you ask your wife to forgive you. You ask God to forgive you. You forsake your sin. You hate that sin. It's displeasing to God. All those wonderful uh, memorized uh, catechism questions come into mind here. And then... um, If you're like me, you might do that same sin five minutes later. (laughs) You might fall right back into it. You just, it's just there. And so then you, you know, you said things again. You shouldn't have said those things. You walk outside, you simmer down, and what do you do? Well, you come in grieving again. You come in saying you're sorry again. You come in saying, Lord, would you please forgive me again? I need the blood of Jesus to cleanse me again. And so there's this pattern that's happening. It's a pattern where sin that you're going through and you're working at not doing anymore is being broken up with repentance. Okay? Let's think about the pattern of a wicked person. Let's take the same, let's take a man. He comes home and he's insensitive to his wife. He says things he shouldn't say. He's unkind. He's He's, he's saying all sorts of bitter stuff and he walks outside and he simmers down and comes back in and he sits down and watches TV. Then he gets up and he gets something to eat and gets some popcorn and he watches the rest of his show and he goes to bed. He wakes up in the morning and he gets back into it with his wife. He's insensitive. He's unkind. He does all those things again and he goes to work. Do you see the difference? There's a difference. That person's life is not broken up with repentance. That person's sin pattern is not being broken up with confession and grieving and sorrowing. That is not a Christian way of dealing with sin. And so this is what I want you to see. And you say, well, pastor, is that really a big deal? Let me tell you, it's a big deal. When you sit on Wednesday night at 8.30 after everybody leaves and there's a man sitting on this side of the room and a woman sitting on this side of the room and they're married and they come in two different cars... To see you for marriage counseling. You know why there's that big space between them? Because there's all these little things that never have been taken care of. You think those little things don't matter? They they matter. You and I, we need to be tender. And I would charge you men to think about being the examples of what it means to be a strong man inside a velvet glove. Or being a horse that's that's got all those muscles and able to be controlled by Jesus Christ. And you, if you raise your voice, you go and you tell your kids, you tell your wife, I raised my voice and I was wrong. And you teach your kids how to be sorrowful for sin and how to be sensitive about sin so that they can be following your example. Well, let's move on. He avoids sitting in the seat of the scoffer. So we got wicked people out of harmony with God. We got sinners. They practice sin and scoffers. What do they do? They mock. They, they say things about holy things that are unkind. They make fun of holy things. They're contemptuous of holy things. And if you've ever been around a mocker, they, from time to time, they just break out and say things out loud. There's a story in 
the book of Jeremiah, where the prophet has dictated the word of God to Baruch, and Baruch brings the word of God to King Jehoiakim. And when King Jehoiakim gets a hold of the word, he cuts it into ribbons. He cuts it into pieces. That's what we're talking about when we say somebody who mocks the word of God. And you and I as righteous men, we are to avoid sitting in that seat. We're not to dwell in that chair with those folks. We're not to say these things like those folks. And so you and I, we are righteous men and women. We are to avoid these things. Not to walk in the counsel of the wicked. Not to stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. But the wicked person does. One, one commentator put it like this. It, they're grinding to a halt. They walk and they walk. They stand and then they what? <laughs> they sit down. They stop. They're grinding to a halt. So here's a person, a wicked person. They're not. They're out of harmony with Christ. They're standing in ag- agreement against Christ. And they are people who sit and they have Hold Christ in contempt. Let's ask ourselves the question, like the writer to, to the proverb of the proverb says. He says this: Is this where you're at? He says, "Turn to my reproof. Turn to my reproof, and I will pour out my spirit on you. If this is who you are, turn to my reproof." Solomon would write. Well, let's look at what the righteous man's direction is. He doesn't just avoid stuff. That's kind of negative, right? He does some stuff. He does some really good stuff. He adheres to some things. He delights in the law of the Lord. He adheres to the law of the Lord. So if we don't walk in this counsel of the wicked, if we don't you know, uh, stand in this path over here with sinners and we're not sitting in this seat with these mockers, well, we got to be going some way. But what way is that? Well, the law of the Lord. The law, the law of the Lord was written by the Lord. So we have a word from God, as we would say, holy men who are taught by the Holy Spirit have written these words down for us so that we might walk according to them. This is for our profit. We have something we adhere to, the law of the Lord and the Lord of the law. And we delight in the law of the Lord. And the word delight here, when it says here that, that we delight in the law of the Lord, it means that something has to happen in us for us to delight in it. Because by nature, we are just like the wicked person out of harmony with God. We're just like those people standing and practicing patterns of sin. We are just like those people who used to say things that they shouldn't say about holy things. Something has to happen for us to delight in this law of the Lord. So now we move from this sinful life to a life that delights in the things of God. And the doorkeeper asks us, has this great change occurred in us? Have you begun to delight in the law of the Lord? You know, I'm going to be real careful. I don't want to get stuck on this. But the law of the Lord comes to us. What does it say? It says, do this. (laughs) Do this. Have you ever found out you can't do it? If you found out, you can't do it. The law says, do this. The law was never meant to give us life. It was just meant to show us our sin. It was meant to show us how to live. Then we find out we can't do it. We find out what? We're dead in trespasses and sins. So the gospel comes along and Jesus goes up to what? He goes up to Lazarus and he says, sir, stand up, live. And now go take off those gray clothes. He says to that little girl, little girl, I say to you, arise. Arise. And then he gives her back to the parents. 
Says to a man who's in a coffin, rise up. And then he gives that man who's dead in that coffin back to his mother. And so you and I, we have to be those people who are now raised up by the law, shows us our sin and our need of a Savior. And Jesus says, live and do this. And so here we are. If we're alive, we, we get up. We don't have a chore. It's not a chore for us to live for God. It's a great delight for us to live for God because our whole souls have been changed. I want you to think about how delightful it is to see your family. Um, you know, men, men, we 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 want to we come home. I, you ought to watch. Uh, is it Sense and Sensibilities where they talk about um, <laughs> those 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 captains on those boats back in the eighteen hundreds? They talk about how they can't wait to get home to see their wives. I mean, I haven't had to do six months without my wife or a year. But I do know that I really enjoy coming home. And I do know there are times when I love to get in the hammock with Sela and Honor and lay in this hammock and get the little phone out and watch videos and listen to music together and just giggle and laugh and have a great time. I just delight in that. I, get it, I, get, I come home and I wrap my arms around my wife and she tells me, please leave me alone. I got things to do. I said, no, I got married to mess with you. I got married to bother you. And I'm not going to let stop bothering you. Sometimes I stop because she needs to like actually do something. <laughs> Think about that woman in Luke chapter 7. This woman, she finds out, you know, we were talking about this yesterday. This woman in Luke chapter 7, we don't know if she's been saved. Where, she, where did this woman come from? We don't know anything about her. But she finds out that Jesus is in a house and she goes and what does she do? She begins to kiss his feet. What does she do? She begins to cry and she begins to wash his feet with her hair. And after she does all of that, she breaks open this little perfume jar, pours it on top of his feet, and the whole room fills up with this wonderful fragrance. What, what's she doing? Well, she's delighting. She's delighting in the Word come and made flesh. And you and I, we are to delight in the law of the Lord. And we are to delight in the Word of, the, word of God come in human flesh. And we delight in it. We are to have a steady diet of this Word in our lives. Our physical bodies need food. Every one of you are going to leave here today, and I can promise you there's one thing you're going to do. You're going to open up your mouth and put something in that hole. You're going to put food on the inside. And you and I, we need to, we need to realize our minds, they live on words. Have you figured that? Our minds live on words. Put the right words in it. You know, somebody asked me the other day, what do you do at night? I said, I've always got something that I'm thinking about. I've always got some scripture. I've always got something about Christ that I'm thinking about because I'm, my mind lives on words. Jesus says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And the apostle Paul says that, that you and I were to let the words of Christ richly dwell in us. These words are more necessary to us than our daily food. And so we are to delight in these words and have a steady diet of these words. And we are to, he says here, meditate on these words. Now, it's wonderful to get the words in. I get, man, this, this is some great stuff. <laughs> but we have to, if we want to get the real nourishment out of this, we have to stop and we have to act like cows. You know what cows do, don't you? They eat and they eat and they eat and they have all those stomachs. And this is a little bit TMI, but they, you know, they have to, I'll just say it like this. They have to bring things back up. Right? They have to bring things back up and they have to chew on what they swallowed. And as they chew, they get the nourishment out of 
the, the grass that they ate. And you and I, we need to do the same thing. We, I would suggest, this is just one suggestion. I would suggest read one chapter of the Gospels every day. I think there's 89 chapters. You can read the Gospels 90 chapters times four. Four times a year you could read through all the Gospels four times a year if you read one a day. And what are you thinking about? Think about Jesus. You're thinking about the Word of God coming human flesh. You're thinking about how He lived. You're thinking about how He, how he went and talked to people. John says in John 1.14, we beheld what? We beheld His glory. We sat there and we had an experiment. We had Jesus in front of us. He is our experiment. We watched Him. We, we ate with Him. We, we drank with Him. We, we slept over here and went on travels with Him. We, we did all these things with Him. And at the end of the day, this is what our evaluation is. We beheld glory. <laughs> Do you think that if you go study every 89 days the Gospels that you won't behold the glory? You will. So mutter these words under your breath. Meditation, that's what that means. Take these words and talk to them under your breath. (laughs) Talk to them, vibrate along with them and behold the glory. When do we do it? Day and night. Um, Just a little bit. Pastor Sumter and I, we went and talked to somebody one day. And, and our big encouragement was this, just a little bit in the morning, a little bit in the evening. Don't underestimate what just a little bit can do. Just do a little bit. Take God's Word out. Remember, kiddos, y'all, do, do kids, we got some kids in here. You remember what it means to, like, take a lozenge? Get a lozenge. And you put it under your tongue. And it just saturates your mouth. And then these kiddos, what do they do? They open their mouth. And if it's red, their whole, the whole inside of their mouth and their tongue is all red. Saturated. Sugary, saturated. Let the word of Christ saturate your tongue and your mouth. Enjoy it. Well, the righteous man's direction. Second, this is much shorter. The righteous man's description. Verses 3 and 4. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. Which yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. A tree firmly planted, that's stability. Now think about this. This is a great thing. This tree is firmly planted. This tree had to be taken from somewhere and taken somewhere else and firmly planted. That stability, it has been transplanted. It's in a new place and the vitality is this. It's by streams of flowing water. So this tree has been transplanted by streams of flowing water so that all the roots can get the water. That's vitality. And then we see that there's fruit. That's productivity. So it's close to the waters. You know, one of the things that you know in California, it's all brown unless there's water on it. Everything is dead unless there's water on it. Right, Michael? Everything. Everything. So all this green's out there, you know the water's on it. So there's plenty of water, there's plenty of fruit, and then there's prosperity. You are like that tree. (laughs) He shall be like a tree. You and I, we've been taken out of our natural position in sin, in Adam. We've been placed in our spiritual Father, Jesus Christ. We've been placed in Jesus 
in a new position of grace. You and I are stable. You and I have the, the, the waters, the, the rivers of Jesus Christ flowing into us and we bear fruit. But you say, Pastor, you know, I don't feel like, I don't feel like there's much productivity in my life. I don't feel like I'm bearing fruit. Well, just because you don't feel like it doesn't mean that there is. Have you ever been found out you're wrong when it comes to, to bearing fruit? Have you ever been uh, in working really hard and you just think to yourself, God's not doing anything to me, God's not working with me, and then somebody comes up to you and they say, I sure appreciate what you did for me. I sure appreciate what you said to me. I sure appreciate how you handled that. See, you don't know what's going on sometimes. <laughs> we, we sometimes, we're just so Eeyore-like. Oh, I don't know what God's doing with me right now. I don't know. Isn't that what we do? Friend, listen, if God's taking you from one place and put you into Christ, if He's giving you the waters of, of life and He's flowing into you, there's things going on sometimes you don't know. And then all of a sudden you'll see some things. You'll see some fruits. So don't be discouraged. But look at the description of the wicked. Look at verse 4. The wicked are not so, but they're like chaff. Now, we use that term every day, don't we? I, I, I talk about chaff every day. right? Do you know what that is? We know what it is, don't we? But let's talk about it for a second. Back in those days, now, if you go to the, go to the almond farms, you see what I'm talking about real quick. But back in these days, they would, they would take the, the grain and they would take it up on top of a hill and they would throw it up in the air and the heavy grain would fall down to the ground and all that light stuff that, that encapsulates the grain would break apart and blow down the hill. The heavy stuff is kept and the light stuff is blown down the hill and that's what the wicked are like. They're light. They're not stable. They're not, they don't have vital life flowing into them. They don't have, uh, they're not bearing fruit. They're not prosperous. They're just light. They blow down the hill. The doorkeeper's asking us, are you a tree or are you chaff? Am I a righteous man or am I a wicked man? He has a great deal to say about the tree. He has very little to say about the chaff. Well, finally, and we'll close with this, the righteous man's destination Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Now, think about the very beginning when Jesus is coming into the world. There's John the Baptist. He's come. He's the one who prepares the way for the Lord. He's the one who prepares the way for Messiah's coming. He's actually going to point him out later on. But right now he's saying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And so all the people, what are they supposed to do if a king was coming into town? I'll tell you what, if you want to watch a really good um, view of this, just go watch Ben-Hur because they show... Somebody coming into a town, they show people getting ready for the tribune who comes into town. And so all the people, they're getting ready for a king to come, and they, they clean the roads, they pull the weeds, they fix the rocks, they put everything in place, and all the little rocks are pulled off the road and all that. And he's saying, get ready, Jesus is coming. Get ready, give him the red carpet treatment. And here the psalmist is telling us, Jesus is coming again. And we need to make ready for this coming. We need to examine whether we're trees or whether we're chaff. Whether we're at the top of the hill or at the bottom of the hill. Am I righteous and am I part of the righteous assembly who's in Christ or not? The wicked man will not be ready when the judgment comes. Verse 5 says the wicked will not stand in the judgment. If we are not justified by faith in Jesus Christ, think again you will not stand if you're going to stand on your own works. You have to delight in the finished work of Christ or 
You will not stand on that day. He says here, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. We may be among the righteous today. And yet, we may be chaff even among God's people. Unless we have been justified by faith in Christ. Verse 6 says, the way of the wicked will perish. This is a serious psalm, isn't it? As we enter into this book of psalms. Many people are thoughtless about their direction. Many people don't ask themselves, am I a tree or am I a chaff? Am I in Christ or not? We don't think sometimes about our future because we're just going along and doing life. We don't look back at the past and think, where, where have I been and where am I going in the present? We don't do this. And so many people, because they don't think things over and get really serious about a psalm like this, uh, they're not ready for the end. What is your direction? What is your destiny? Well, the righteous man in the time of judgment, what is he like? It says the Lord, verse 6, knows the way of the righteous. Beloved, are you in Christ? Have you thought about your direction? These words are for you. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. And when he says knows the way of the righteous... He, he watches over the way of the righteous. He knows you've entered through the door who is Jesus. He knows all of these things. And not only does He know, but He's protecting you along the way. He's the one who's transplanted you by the streams. He's the one who's been feeding you that water you need. He's the one who's been bearing the fruit in you by the power of the Spirit. And now He's not going to forsake you. On the day of judgment. You will be okay. On the day of judgment. Well I started this sermon. Asking or at least making this statement. Nothing is so crucial as. Your belonging to the assembly. Of the righteous. Are you among. The assembly. Of the righteous. If you say you're not. Let me just read one passage of scripture. And we'll pray. John 10 9. This is Jesus. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me, the gate, will be saved. He will come in and he will go out and find pasture. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look into your word this morning. We thank you for this gatekeeper psalm that bids us to come and worship you for 150 chapters of every kind of feeling and sorrow and joy that man can experience as they walk with you. Lord, as we open up the door, we pray that we might evaluate our own hearts. And I pray, Father, that we might be found in Jesus Christ by faith. We might be ready for that destination in the future, that we not perish. And Lord, even as we move through this life, that we might be holding on to you and one another as we love our Lord Jesus Christ and love the body of Christ that you've placed us here to be with. Father, we thank you for this word and we ask, Lord, that we might Improve it in our hearts throughout this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.